Hello and welcome to the ACS Nano podcast for March 2013. This is Heather Tierney, Managing Editor for ACS Nano. Today, I would like to welcome my colleague Elizabeth Cole to the show. Elizabeth works with ACS Nano and a number of other journals as a product development associate on the ACS Publications team. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Heather. It's a pleasure to be here. We have a great episode planned for our listeners today. During this month's episode, we will hear about gold nanocluster heating in applied radio frequency fields. But first, we have an announcement about an exciting session at the Spring 2013 ACS National Meeting in New Orleans. ACS Nano and NanoLetters are jointly holding a special symposium related to the national meeting theme, the chemistry of energy and food. The session, titled Nanoscience and Nanotechnology for Energy, features world-renowned speakers who are all editors or editorial advisory members for the journals ACS Nano or NanoLetters. Be sure to attend the session on Monday afternoon, April 8th, to hear all of the great talks. Heating metallic nanoparticles with an applied radio frequency field has gained increasing interest for potential applications such as hyperthermal or cancer ablation therapies. To date, however, the exact heating mechanism for these systems has been highly controversial in the literature. A recent article in ACS Nano used paramagnetic gold nanoclusters to help elucidate the heating mechanism from radio frequency fields. Today, Professor Christopher Ackerson and first author Ruthann McCoy join me from Colorado State University to tell us about this study. Hello, Chris and Ruthie. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Can you start by telling our listeners about the gold nanoclusters you used and how you prepared these clusters? Well, it is called Gold 102. It has 102 gold atoms and 44 paramercaptobenzoic acid ligands. It is considered a magic number cluster in that it has special stability associated with the number of electrons that are in a superatomic G shell. Metal clusters can be stabilized sort of one or two ways to arrive at especially stable sizes. One way of stabilizing a metal nanoparticle or a metal cluster is through geometric shell closing. Another way of stabilizing a metal nanocluster or a metal nanoparticle is through electronic shell closings. Gold 102 is the largest unambiguously electronically stabilized gold nanocluster. When gold nanoparticles become small enough, there's an underlying electronic structure, the superatom structure, which becomes really important in their stability and perhaps a lot of their chemistry as well. One of the things that helped distinguish this work from previous work is that it's the first example of heating of a gold nanoparticle in a radio frequency field where we have specifically looked at the effect of manipulating the underlying electronic structure on the heating. There's a lot of other reports of larger gold nanoparticles heating in radio frequency fields. What we've published here sort of clarifies what might be going on in the examples of heating of smaller nanoparticles, so maybe two nanometer diameter and smaller clusters in radio frequency fields. And what conclusions were you able to draw about the mechanism for heating in your gold nanocluster system? We believe it's very similar to the mechanism that 
heats super paramagnetic iron oxide nanoparticles, which goes through what are known as Brownian and Neal relaxation. Primarily, probably the Brownian relaxation, which basically, if you want to visualize this, you have your magnetic dipole that is permanently fixed to the nanoparticle. And so when you have it exposed to an oscillating electromagnetic field, it follows that field, it rotates. And through the rotation, you see a viscous interaction between the particle and the solvent that generates heat. And you already started to touch on this a little bit, but in your ACS Nano article, you studied a number of salt matrices. Can you tell us about what additional insights you were able to gain from these experiments about salt heating? Salts are definitely a confounding issue They are present following the synthesis, and it has been long known that salts will heat in an oscillating electric field. They've actually used that phenomena for pasteurization processes. So one of the controversies was, are we really seeing any heating from the nanoparticles, or is it really just the background salts? And then another paper comes out and says that you basically need the salt to be there for effective field penetration so that the nanoparticles can even interact with the field at all. So it's sort of a conundrum because you have the salt there, you can't elucidate where the heating is coming from, but without them you might be eliminating any possible heating mechanisms. So what we decided to do was look at each separately, you know, certain salt concentration, the nanoparticles by themselves, and then look at them together. And it appears that there might be some kind of cooperative effect going on between the nanoparticles and the salts, which is suggesting that perhaps they're right about the field penetration issue. I think one of the things that we showed pretty clearly is that, at least in the apparatus we had, a background saline solution would heat, but the same background saline solution with a carefully prepared solution of gold nanoparticles heated much more rapidly in terms of heating rate than the saline solution by itself or the gold nanoparticles by themselves, suggesting a cooperative effect. What applications do you think will benefit the most from the mechanistic understanding you gained from your studies? I think it has pretty broad implications as far as the applications go, uh, just because so many of the applications are sort of biomedical related. One of the things that I think we're beginning to see that the paper hints at that we're seeing even more of in the lab now is that by knowing the magnetic moment of a particle, we can actually simulate exactly how hot the particle will get in a particular field. And this may, in the end, allow very precise dosing of an amount of heat that's sort of calculated in a theoretical simulation. And that dosing of heat could be to a biomedical lesion, so a tumor. It could be to a site that's labeled on a protein with a cluster for a biophysical experiment to see what happens to a particular protein function when a certain amount of heat is added. And 
understanding the mechanism of heating may allow us to very precisely control the amount of heat that goes into a downstream application. Yeah, I think the implications are to do with what parameters need to be used during those sorts of experiments. So what frequency, what field strength, what particle preparation do you need, particle size, oxidation state, things like that are all very important for figuring out, you know, what kind of heat generation you want. And it's really not well controlled at this point. Well, great. Thank you both again for joining me today to tell us about your work. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the March 2013 ACS Nano podcast, and thanks to Chris Ackerson and Ruthie McCoy for joining us today. Send your comments about the podcast or about the journal to acsnano at acs.org, and tune in next month for more highlights from ACS Nano. ACS Nano.